And uh, so let's read, shall we? Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, is there any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded and having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself nothing, or the NIV says, made himself of no, the NIV says, made himself nothing, NKJV says, no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearances of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth, and those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to just give you some background to the book of Philippians as we start tonight. The title of my message is Zero. He made himself nothing. Now sometimes in life God requires us to go back to zero and here Paul is in prison. I don't know if you've gone through a particular tough time in your personal life, but here Paul is in prison, and yet the book of Philippians, you know the title of the book of Philippians, is the book of joy. The book of joy. Paul is teaching the church how to be full of joy in difficult times. In difficult times, because the joy that we have is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So here, Paul is sharing, and he's sharing throughout chapter 2, and he gets to this point, and he's encouraging the church, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Four things that you recognize in this passage. One, Jesus humbled himself, therefore he was exalted. Two, he became a nobody. He became nothing. He didn't rely on his reputation or what he'd done previously. He wasn't boasting as being the son of God. He came down from heaven and he lived amongst us. He died a sinner's death on the cross. He died for the sins of the world. He rose again on the third day. Three, because of his obedience. Because he was obedient to God, he went to the cross. And I've been focusing on some of these things this year. And here tonight, I want to focus for a few moments on this small verse, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. I believe we're living in a time where we need to trust God. We need to rely on God. We're not really certain of the future. I don't know if tonight you could give me the blueprint or the map of where you're going in life and your purpose and your future. But a lot of us in London, whether it be the Brexit, whether it be just on our doorstep, the Grenfell, or whether it be other things. Now, I believe we're living in a time where we must hear from God. We must hear what God is speaking to us about. In my house, one of our favorite verses today is the book of Samuel. In the book of Samuel, Samuel is called by God and he's asleep and he's woke up three times and he goes to Eli the priest and the conversation's a bit like this. You woke me up. And Eli's like, no, I didn't wake you up. Go back to bed. Uh, he comes again, you woke me up. Oh no, you didn't, I didn't wake you up. Go back to bed, go back to sleep. The third time he comes, he realizes that God is calling him. So he says to Samuel, listen, the next time, 
God speaks to you. Next time it happens, just say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I believe that God wants to speak to you tonight. I believe that God wants to speak to the church. And I believe we need to be open to that. But sometimes we need to get to the place of being nothing. We need to start again as if it were. Not relying on past glories. Not relying on past achievements. Not relying on the past. Uh, A lot of what was said about the Luther conference was remembering Luther so we could bring what was happening in the past in Luther's life into our present. And I remember joking on with praise in the back room. Sometimes as Christians we say, we've got to go back to the past. We've got to go back to the past. I don't want to go back to the past. I want to bring what is good from the past into the future and start moving forward. Amen? And that's what we've got to learn. We've got to learn from history and we've got to move move ahead. What has God got in our future? And here Paul gives the example of Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. Now, when we boast about athletes and we boast about people, uh, Usain Bolt is one of the favorite guys in our family. And I'm always showing Judah Usain Bolt and I've got the 9.57 or 9.56 seconds on the screen. He always wants to play it. But one thing you recognize about great athletes, they always have to start at the beginning. They always have to start at zero. They always have to start at the beginning. They recognize that they're in a line with everybody else and they're running their race. They have to do it again. They have to go through the training. They have to go through the method. And they have to put all that they get in place into the race. It's the same with sports. Every football team, every competition starts at the bottom, starts at zero. And there's a time clock. And I believe that God, in a sense, is speaking to us as a church to hit the reset button. Here in Philippians chapter 2, Sometimes when you you read this scripture and you see he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death. I don't know about what happens to you, but what happens to me is sometimes I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling. I'm not as humble as I should be. I'm certainly not as obedient as I should be. I'm certainly not as servant-hearted as I should be. I'm certainly not living in in a nothing every day saying, God, I'm nothing. Pride comes up. Position comes up. Reputation comes up. The flesh comes up. And Jesus is the example here. So when you read this verse, it's tremendously challenging. To humble yourself, God will exalt you. When you humble yourself before God, He will exalt you. This year, we were shared the scripture in the Elam conference about 2 Chronicles 20. And the story is about Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat He is basically king of Judah at the time. But suddenly all the armies, the Moabite armies, and all the armies of Ammon, they all come together and they're about to invade him. And it seems to happen overnight. It seems to happen straight away. He's in this difficult time. What is he going to do? Is he going to say, I'm the king, I'm going to mobilize the whole army, and we're going to knock out these people. We're going to go for it. But the Bible says in 2 Chronicles, Chapter 20 and verse 3, it says that he feared. And when he feared, what did he do when he feared? It's not wrong to fear. We feel fear. The Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Our confidence is in God. So he feels this fear. So what is he going to do? I mean, most of us here tonight, if there was an army embracing uh, around Kensington Temple and they're about to invade us, we would feel fear. We would need God. And Jehoshaphat, what does he do? He humbles himself. 
He calls a fast. He seeks after God and he mobilizes the entire nation of Judah and they start to seek God. And it was that, that very thing that moved the hand of God. That very action that moved the hand of God, what was he going to do? The prophet wasn't speaking. There was no revelation. They didn't have a strategy. They didn't know what was going on. But they called a fast and they started to seek God. In the book of Joel, it says, call a fast, blow the trumpet in Zion, call a fast, call a sacred assembly. What does that mean? It means that we get to the point of seeking God afresh. We get to the point of seeking God anew for our lives. God has a purpose for you tonight. We all know that you can live the permissible will of God, isn't it? That's the permissible will. It's not the exact will of God. It's just a nice will of God, being a nice Christian, going through the motions and doing nice things, being a good person. But then there's the specific will of God, being in the right place at the right time. Something strange happened to me in the week on, on the 10th of October, and I remember looking at my bus pass the 10th of October, and something just happened to me. It was like God was on that little bus, that little train pass, and he was speaking to me, so I started to research about what happened on the 10th of October. Quite significantly, many, there was many fights, many armies, many wars, but significantly on that verse, there was three things that happened on that day in history. One, there was an earthquake in Algeria. Two, there was a great fire in Chicago where Chicago burnt down. Uh, and there was a hurricane in the Caribbean, which we've recently experienced, where 30,000 people lost their lives. Now, that is catastrophic. Those things happen in history. But I felt, when I, when I read that, I went back to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19 is the story where Elijah's called the fire down from heaven. He's basically killed the prophets of Baal. He's got a mighty victory and he's feeling alone. And then God feeds him by an angel. And then it goes into the next verse. And God basically comes past. And there's some things that, that happen. One, there is a fire. Two, there is an earthquake. And, and three, there is a wind or a hurricane. And the Bible clearly states that God was not in any of these things. Now this year we've, we've experienced the Mexico uh, earthquake, we've, we've experienced the fire of Grenfell, we've experienced some of these hurricanes that are happening. And I wanna tell you tonight that God is speaking. God is speaking to you, God is speaking to me, God is speaking to the church, but are we listening? Are we listening? And how are we listening? I believe that we got challenges to get back to the beginning, to get back to the start. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 10. The book of Daniel, chapter 10. Now, the book of Daniel is a very prophetic book, prophesying into the future of what's going to happen when the Christ returns. But here, we see in chapter 10 and verse 10, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And then he said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So in this context of the scripture, there's a battle going on. There's Gable, not Gable Chan, and there's Michael, the angel, and there seems to be a battle in the heavenlies. There's something going on. 
And it seems that this prince of Persia has been stopping Michael from turning up and speaking to Daniel. And Michael speaks to him and just says, listen, the, the moment that you humbled yourself, the moment that you set your heart to seek after me, to humble yourself, to start again, as if it were, and go through the most important things in your life. That was the moment I heard you. Remember, he doesn't say, well, the moment you fasted and prayed for 21 days, the moment you did all your confessions, the moment that you prayed for three hours a day, I saw all those things. He says, the very moment that you humbled yourself before God, your words were heard, like that. He's like saying, as soon as you admit that you're not, you don't have it together, as soon as you admit that you're nothing, that you're zero. See, the zero means nothing, doesn't it? What is zero? Zero is nothing. And sometimes we feel like zero. But when we, when we come to Christ, it's Christ adds the number at the beginning and we become a 10. He adds the 10 and we become a 100. He adds the 100 and we become a 1,000. We become important. We become successful. We become a somebody, not because of us, but because of Christ. Amen? Because what Christ has done. And Christ has been exalted that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This year, um, I've been looking afresh at my life. And I was 40 this year. And uh, since age 35, I've been seeking God and just saying, God, what is your plan for my life? What is your blueprint for my life? And I haven't personally looked into what it means to be 40. Maybe you have. Um, but I just decided at the beginning of this year that I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to seek after God, and I want, to, I, want to, I want to get into this year, and I want what God wants for my life. And so the first word that came to me was get rid of the chaff. Get rid of the chaff, and there's a scripture when Jordan the Baptist is speaking, get rid of the chaff, all the things that are not of me, and make sure you focus on the things that are of me. So I've been going through Philippians, I've been going through this book, and it's been highlighting some areas of, of personal challenge and difficulty. Now I want to say to you some principles. Zero people look out for God's glory. Zero people. When somebody believes they're nothing and Christ is everything, they, they set their self, their mind on the glory of God. On the glory of God. Turn to Philippians here. Philippians chapter 1 verse 16. Now Paul's gone through a difficulty and remember he's in prison and he's in a difficult situation and people are speaking against him and he says these words. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of God's Spirit and Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed with all boldness as always. So now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What is Paul saying? He's getting himself in the right perspective. You see, when you're in prison and you go through a tough time, you start getting things in the right perspective. You hit the reset button. You say, God, what is important? What's the most important things in my life? I believe that that's what God is saying to the church. What is important? What is important to you? Material possessions may have been important. Getting a certain career may have been important. But when a shaking happens, often those things are not important anymore. 
Christ becomes important. Secondly, zero people look for the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel becomes center stage. The gospel is the good news. It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to save mankind. And sometimes we're simply not living like that, myself included. We're not living in a revelation that God wants to save every five minutes. But here, Paul is in prison. And his mentality and his attitude is this. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What? You've been in prison. You're not saying anything. You're not, going to be, you're not being able to teach the church. You're not being able to do all the services. You're not being able to do certain things. You haven't written any books. His perspective is, these things have happened to me that the gospel has been furthered. Is that our mindset today? When you have a zero mindset, when Christ is in your life, you are about the gospel. Number three, zero people look out for others and pursue the unity of the church. He says here in verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. See, we live in a society right now where individualism is right at center stage. Everybody can have their website. Everybody can have their Twitter account. Everybody themselves is almost becoming their own God, their, their, their own business. Their, it's all about them. But the kingdom of God is completely different. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Easy to say, harder to do. Amen. Easy to say, hard to do. But it is about Christ. It's about Christ at the center. It's about Christ. It's about magnifying Christ. It's about the gospel. And it's about the church. It's about the unity of the church. It's not about my church and your church, your cell and my cell, what I'm doing and what you're doing. It's about what we're doing together. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind or humility of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but the interests of others. All looking for the interests of other people. Here in verse 27, he says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not only in any way terrified by your enemies, which is to them the proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. But to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. What is Paul writing to the church? He's saying, listen, it's about standing fast in one spirit together. That's his mindset. How could he have that mindset? He's in prison. He's getting himself into a fresh perspective. And as he gets in perspective, he starts thinking about zero. Christ made himself nothing. And if Christ made himself nothing, then maybe I should make myself nothing. Maybe I should humble myself. Maybe I should seek God in a fresh way. Maybe life is not about me. And he encourages the church. He says, you need to stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for your own ministry. 
or striving together for your own cell group or striving together for your own business. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't even mention anything about business or your own thing. He mentions that the unity is about the mission of the local church. Our mission is to reach London and the world for Christ, amen? Our mission is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the mission of the gospel. And here he encourages the church and he says, listen, it's about the unity of the church. When you have a zero mindset, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He put his reputation on the line. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to rely on my reputation. I'm going to lay my life down for the sins of the world. And it is the same today. God is speaking to us. He's challenging us. Catherine Coleman, who is greatly used in the miraculous, and you can read that, just Google God's generals and you'll read about Roberts Leiden or other authors that have written about Catherine Coleman. And how was she used in great power? Now, she says this, I surrendered unto him all there was of me, everything. I'll read it again. I surrendered unto him all there was of me, everything. Then for the first time, I realized what it meant to have real power. Real power. She said she got to the point where she surrendered everything. And as she surrendered everything, as she humbled herself, as she became zero, as if it were, and as she hit the reset button, then great power was available to her life. And if you read so much about Catherine Coleman, you'll read that people came out of wheelchairs. Blind eyes were opened. There was great miracles and great sense of God's power in that ministry. And she said the key was that she gave everything. She gave everything. She humbled herself. See, selfish ambition, the word is eretheia in the Greek. And it says here, a word that regressed from denoting honorable work to suggesting dishonorable work. Originally, it meant a field worker or reaper, and then anyone working for pay or hireling. Erethea later described a person who was concerned only with his own welfare, a person susceptible to being bribed, an ambitious, self-willed person seeking opportunities for promotion. From there, it became electioneering, a partisan, factious spirit that would resort to any method for winning followers. When we put Christ at the center, it's like selfish ambition just falls to the ground. We're no longer ambitious. We no longer want to be number one or ahead of other people. We want other people to flourish. And not by just saying it, it sincerely comes from our heart. Look at the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was called by God to be a voice crying in the wilderness. And he came before Jesus Christ. I mean, who wants to come before Jesus? It's like Jesus is going to take all the glory. And he was a relative of John. But John the Baptist says these words. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. He's like he knew. The Spirit of God inside of him knew that his ministry was coming to an end. His, his ministry was a pioneer ministry. He was a pacemaker, a Kenyan runner, as if it were. And he was going down, running ahead. And then he got to the point where God spoke to him and said, listen, it's time for you to slow down. It's time for you to decrease. It's time for you to go into the background. And it's time for Jesus, the Son of God, to go into the foreground. It's time for Jesus. And that, that's what happened. And why did it happen? John the Baptist didn't say, hey, who are you? I'm the number one. I'm doing this. He didn't say that. 
He had the Spirit of God. In fact, when you read John's Gospel, chapter 1, you read John the Baptist when he sees Jesus. He says, I wouldn't have known him. What does he mean by that? I wouldn't have known him according to the flesh. I wouldn't have been able to recognize him. But he who sent me said something to me. Whoever you see the Spirit descended on, that's the one. So he didn't know him. He maybe saw Jesus around. He was a relative. Didn't know him according to the flesh. But when something in his spirit recognized that the Spirit of God descended on Jesus, something in his spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit said, that's the one. That's the Son of God. That's the time for you to go into the background and the Son to go into the foreground. See, that's the attitude of becoming nothing. When we become nothing and get to that point, then God listens to our prayers. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, If we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek God's face and we turn from our wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. God is calling us individually, personally, to change our hearts towards Him. He is calling us to humble ourselves. Where does that humility come from? It comes to the place of prayer. It comes in the place of prayer. It comes in the place of personal relationship with Him. That our prayers are no longer needs-based. And praying about what we want to pray about. It's about what God wants to pray about. It's about surrendering your life afresh. It's about sanctifying your life afresh. That's what Jesus did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself nothing or of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus gave his life over. He even said these words, no one takes my life. No one is going to gloat and say, we took Jesus' life. He says, no one takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. He knew his destiny, and you see it as Paul writes it right there. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to conclude with this poem. I wrote this poem in the beginning of this year, and it's a poem about this topic. It says, in a world where everybody wants to be somebody, but nobody, it seems, wants to be nobody. Everybody wants to be something, but not many people want to be nothing. Not many people want to be nothing. And I wonder today if you can get to the point in your life tonight where you surrender your life afresh to God. You hear this challenge to go into this week and to say to God, God, you know what? I'm going to get right with you. God, I want my prayer life to be rebooted. Lord, I want my personal relationship with you to be renewed. I want to do it because I want to humble myself. I'm not where I should be. I've been following the permissive will of God, just going through the motions, and that's good for that. But I want to follow the Pacific blueprint for my life. And if you're going to follow the Pacific blueprint for, that God has for your life, you're going to have to turn to God. You're going to have to seek Him with all your heart. You're going to have to cry out to Him. Does it mean that you're perfect? Does it mean that you have it all together? No, that doesn't mean that. None of us can say here tonight that we have it all together. But what we can say is what John said. He said, I must decrease and He must increase. Less of me, Lord, and more of you. I want to be a zero because I want you to add your numbers on the beginning. 
I want to be, have an impact for you. But firstly, I'm going to humble myself before you tonight. God said to Daniel, the moment that you humbled yourself, I heard you. The moment that you humbled yourself, I heard you. The moment that you humbled yourself to seek after me, I heard you. That, I read that in the week and something just leaped inside of me. Because I've been looking at this verse the whole year. I've been looking at Philippians the whole year. And God was speaking personally to me and said, the moment that you decide to get things back into perspective, the moment that you start seeking me, that's the moment that I heard you. That's the moment that I heard you. And I tell you tonight, if that's your heart, if you're turned to him and you're humbling yourself and you're seeking after him, God is hearing you. God is hearing you. He will hear you. He's the God who hears our prayer. But our prayers must be sincere. Our prayers must be about Christ being magnified, about the gospel, about the unity of the church. That's perspective. Get rid of everything else. Everything else doesn't make sense. Everything else, get rid of it. And come back in line with Christ's plan for your life. Christ glorified. Christ magnified through the gospel. The church being united and strong together.